Hi, everybody. Welcome, welcome to The Long Distance Work Life, the podcast where we try to help make sense of the world of remote and hybrid work and help you not just survive, but actually maybe enjoy it a little and live your life. Uh, my name is Wayne Tremell. I am super, super excited, and I'm warning you now, we're going to get super geeky today. We are going to talk about remote work in parts of the world that you might not have thought about for a while. And we're going to talk about do offices still make sense? And the person who's going to guide us through all that is not Marissa, who is not here today. We do, in fact, though, have Alv Daza, who is... Uh, well, he'll tell you all about himself in just a moment. Alf, welcome to the Long Distance Work Life. Thank you so much, Wayne. I'm super thrilled of being here, and I'm very happy uh, to say hello from Colombia in, in South America. See, we're going to start with something that I am an old North American white guy, and I have preconceptions about what offices look like and what remote work looks like, because that's my frame of reference. Frame of reference. But you are a Colombian who has lived in Kenya and currently lives in Dubai, but is now at the moment back in Colombia. And I'm going to guess that you have seen stuff that I have not. So before we get started, introduce yourself real quick and your company, Circle Thank you so much. Yeah, my name is Alvaro. I'm a Colombian who started his company, connecting people across the world, selling bracelets in $2 for over five years. I started traveling the world and I ended up traveling to 64 countries in that way. Then after COVID, I started a company called Circle, which is a community that connects remote workers, companies who want to transition to remote working governments to finding ways of redefining the future by improving the ways how people work, how people connect, how people go to places. And I'm currently, in fact, yes, living in Dubai uh, for three months in the year and moving around the world across more or less 12 countries per year every, every time. Good heavens. Okay, so most of your experience, certainly that's relevant to this conversation, has been in what is uncharitably called lesser developed countries. I love your term for it, which is the global south, which is kind of everything that isn't North Asia, Europe, America, you know, North America. Yes. When we're talking about remote work, the, the change here has been very seismic and it's been kind of gradual. What is the remote work scene in the global south in countries like Colombia, for example, that we might not think about. In fact, Colombia got used to remote work way before it was a thing. As we were as we were discussing earlier, for example, Colombia, uh, Colombians had the need of working remotely because in many in many moments we didn't have enough resources or infrastructure to travel to another city, for example, to get education or to learn new skills or to communicate with people. So in many occasions, we will need to have a meeting over a phone call, not even a video call, but a phone call, and send, for example, designs over over the, the, the mail. I remember when I was a start, I started architecture. So when I was starting, I used to design infrastructure for places where violence was existing in Colombia. And I used to have to send the, plane, the, the plans of the designs with the bus, with the local bus, because it was the only way how the plans would arrive to the country, right? Like, so I was working remote. I will visit the place or I will see pictures and videos and I will work from remote and, and send the thing. So Colombia's never had, for example, in the global south, that's something that happened. 
for in some cases we never had the time of adapting to that transition between the office the office space and the remote workspace and we just jump without knowing into learning new soft skills that right now are very useful and that's why the global south is catching up very fast with it and it's also because there's been less reliance on the PC, you, a lot of these countries went from not having access to doing everything on mobile devices. Totally, totally, that's true. Um, for example, what happened in Colombia and in Kenya particularly, that are two countries that I know like deeply, it was that in the case of Colombia, the government started, before we didn't have infrastructure, right? Like we had 60 years of violence, hence we didn't have the opportunity of communicating between cities or doing so. In 2013, as a plan of eradicating violence in the country, the government started a plan to installing optic fiber across all the country. And then an educational program sending laptops to the kids, to the children, so they can learn and they can educate themselves online without having to go to the schools because they were exposed to violence otherwise. And in the case of Kenya, the, the government, not the government, but a, a local company called Safaricom started giving the community access to a new banking system by empowering them using the normal cell phones, not even smartphones, for doing transactions with everybody, like peer-to-peer -peer transactions everywhere. And that became a thing, the fact that, for example, 80% of Kenyans, they don't have a bank account, but they do have M-Pesa, which is the mobile banking system. So they were used to that remote banking world. That, as a fact, in 2011, when let's say remote work started to becoming a thing among some Colombians who were professionals working mainly in marketing and software, uh, led to having Colombians now Colombians now working from their mobile phones, working from from the laptops in conditions that they were not really suitable, but that allowed them to access to this work working for international companies. Same in Kenya for the youth who were not having access to investors, so reaching out to, to investors in London and in the Gulf, in Saudi Arabia, in, in Dubai working from like with them sending them all the due diligence to having access to phones and things so probably that's why because of the way how we needed to adapt as countries it's why remote work is not a new thing for us but kind of a natural thing that we just adapted to and now we just rename it i mean not to put too fine a point on it you don't have 150 years of deprogramming to go through <laughs> totally totally <laughs> you know, it's only 80 years in fact you don't have multiple generations of people who slept to the office and then had to unlearn that which okay so you've been working in these countries in the global south i love that term and now you're in dubai and there is no shortage of offices in Dubai. So you know, um, here's my question for you. What are the future of offices? When do we need offices and when do we not? You know that now that you mentioned Dubai, I remember like Dubai, in fact, is also part of the global south, right? Like all the Gulf and the Emirates. They are non-traditional economies and particularly the Gulf has developed over the past 50 years. Initially, as a response uh, to to a, a process of, of independence that they were going through, like trying to take ideas from the best in the world back in the time. So they, you have the infrastructure of the US combined with the infrastructure of, of the UK and then from, from Japan and then from China. And like everything is kind of a mix. And as you say, Dubai does not have a shortage of offices, but for the past or like looking forward to the past 50, uh, to, to the next 50 years, Dubai's actually developed a plan to make people work from home, 
by redeveloping the cities and like rebuilding areas of the city. So what you find is that now the developers, for example, in Dubai, it's very common to find developers offering you get your apartment with a co-working space, get your apartment in a co-living space. There are hotels, actually, Robert is a very good sample. Robert is a, is a hotel chain in Dubai, which is a co-living space. They are all across the all across the city and they have co-workings, they have co-living rooms and they also have infrastructure for remote workers. Dubai, as well as other 52 countries in the in the in the world, which actually, by the way, 62% of these countries are in the global south, like the UAE among like together with other with other with other 52 countries have issued remote or visa policies for remote workers. And what I think is offices are only required. And this is this is probably my vision. Are only required if and only if we need to store information physically. And why do I say this? Because what people have found is that it's more interesting to have meetings in unusual environments. And it's actually proven that having meetings in initial environments can actually increase your productivity. So also just to make sure that people know just to make sure that people know what you're talking about, you're not saying you don't have meetings and you don't get together physically, but you can have a meeting pretty much anywhere. Exactly. In and as a matter of fact, not being in conference room B where you spend all your time may actually be better for creativity and totally. In fact, like let me tell you something that happened over the past two months, uh, particularly in Colombia and in the Emirates. In Colombia, the first judi judicialization audience or the fields or the first like crime um, audience was held in the metaverse in the past in the past two months, like the guy the guy didn't need to move from the prison and the judge didn't need to move from his house they had the audience in the metaverse they create a whole office they create the avatars or the characters and they had they held the audience there the lawyer the judge and the in the, the the prisoner were all in there in the in the places and all the audience was held online this was the first time ever in history and now in dubai parallel to that one and a half one one month ago there was this project called landian that was launched and this is a project that offers virtual offices in the metaverse where the, all the employees of the company can create their own avatar and be sit down in a meeting room, but it's a virtual meeting room. They can be talking, it's like a game, so they can be talking, they can be sharing, and they have a meeting there if they want, and they don't need to move from their locations, whether if they are in the UAE or if they are outside in other parts of the world. So what I think is this, the evolution of offices are, it's going to be in two directions. One, alternative spaces empowering local economies. This can be coffee shops. This can be restaurants. This can be places designed for remote work by the like by the governments, like communal spaces for it, or places in the metaverse. So then, help us. It helps us to save in the city infrastructure, times in transportation, and build more sustainable cities by requiring less and less cars to be moving from one place to another. Again, I can geek out about this for a long time, and you said a couple of things that have triggered much larger <laughs> conversations in my uh, adult brain. As you're dealing with companies literally all over the world, obviously you have brand new startups who can start from scratch and kind of start from a blank piece of paper, but we also have existing companies with existing infrastructure. And what do you see? How are these organizations going to prep for remote work? What do you think the the important things are to consider when 
making that move? I think that, um, first of all, the main thing for big companies is the mindset around productivity, right? And this is what I find most of the times where I'm working either with governments or with corporates on the same topic. Uh, the first or some of the first impressions I get is like, yeah, but are my employees going to be as productive as they are if they are not in an office? Right. But are the people who, are, who I'm working with going to be really responsible with the tasks they need to deliver and so on and so on? So the first thing for me is the companies are preparing, like some of the big companies are preparing by having infrastructure, like alternative infrastructure. In this case, for example, network of apartments where they can host their employees or the people who are working with them. Some people are doing it really in a very funny way. They're having like, let's say, methods of control uh, by Putting tip, like making people or asking people to 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 measure their time as they work. They if they wake up from the from the workstation, they have to stop the the time of productivity and so on and so on. And some other companies are just going hundred percent remote and trying to let's say go without time frames and and these type of things to work. What personally we found is that each company is very different, and the best way of preparing for remote work in the case of the companies is understanding that, first of all, it's a responsibility, meaning that the indirect implications and direct implications of working remote are not only mental health implications, improving the mental health and the connection of people with their with their family and loved ones, and but also environmental environmental compensation or environmental effects by, for example, making cities that can breathe better because the cars are not moving anymore that much. And for a company to prepare for remote work, the first thing that needs to, to happen is a shift in the way how they think on productivity and understanding that people can be productive as long as the company understands deeply their employees and know what are the best times for productivity of each and every of them. There are, there are like, there is enough information on the types of productivity or the types of personality and how that personality can affect and can make people make people able to, to work in different time frames. And if companies take this as an advantage, especially international companies, they can actually find an ally in remote work to make the companies work better if they have their employees not only related to the place where they work from, but to the ways how they work in order for, for them to achieve tasks. And I also think that the companies, there are some companies in the Global South particular that are working closely with governments and making sure that, because that's another another challenge, another challenge is the policy making, right? And how the, how the framework, the legal framework works in each country. So some companies are already working with policymakers in order to create a flexible policy that can allow companies to hire employees in non-traditional timeframes so the employees can actually be productive in their own way. So I think that these are the two sides, the companies working with policymakers and the companies understanding the productivity times of their employees. In these ways are, is how companies, I think, are preparing for remote work. So much good stuff. Have a circle, have a circle of work. I mean, you know, you've got people and stuff and just as the guy running the business. How do you structure it and make it work? I met a very good friend as I was traveling five years ago. His name is Matt Perez and his wife. I remember I arrived in his house. He talked to me about his company called Nearsoft. And this, this Nearsoft company is a company that creates software for companies who want their people to work remotely, essentially. So this was a whole new thing for me. And then when I asked him about how Nearsoft works, he says, well, my company has no bosses or no or employees. And I'm like, how is that? So it's like, you see, I developed a, com a concept that is called the radical companies movement. 
And this radical company movement consists in finding organic ways in the same way how the brain works and operates by using the stimulations from the environment to allocate tasks across the people or among the people who are working in a company and like I say, in small groups or small corporate products. So I fell, I fell in love with this idea and like I tried many times to have a company without bosses and employees. I failed many times until we found a kind of good formula that is the way how we work currently. We have teams allocated in different parts of the world. We are 100% remote. And what we do is we hire people or we work with people who have, let's say, unique sets of skills. They are not only good in accounting, but they can also be good in marketing. They're also good in design and they're also good in different other things. So then they can be allocated in different types of tasks and they can get money, let's say basic money, very good money, but also they can get bonuses by things that they do or achievements that they make based on the new ways how the company find uh, or new findings that the company has in, in ways to perform better at remote work. That's let's say on the on the back end. Now on the front end, Circle is very easy. Circle is a community. We understand that right now companies are not anymore about a product company are now and for the future about a community. So we are essentially a community that aims to connect remote workers and communities around the world. What we do is easy. We find the providers of accommodations, we find the policy makers, we find the companies, we find the insurance providers, like every aspect of what a remote work worker might need or a remote company might need, we find them, we connect them, and then we sell a membership. And this membership that can be a corporate membership or an individual membership, um, let's say false, under a tier that is represented by this bracelet. When people have access to that membership, just to give you an example, if you are a, a sole proprietorship or a, a, like an individual and you want to travel the world, we just offer you this membership and you never have to pay a bigger, a bigger cost for rent. You just travel and always you pay the same for an apartment in more than 80 countries in the world. You always get the same health insurance that is actually a health insurance, not a travel insurance, but a health insurance. You, ha you have access to 30,000 gyms, to assistance in, in visas, to assistance in everything you need for, as a remote worker, only paying once so that you don't have to worry. But now as a government, what we do is we connect you with the stakeholders, with the remote workers, with the companies who are working in, in let's say, transitioning for remote work. And we attract the companies to your country and we help you to do the policy making in order to redesign the cities or to adapt the cities for remote work. And as a corporate, what we do is we onboard all the people that you are working with who are remote workers or consultants and only paying us one fee, you get access to all the properties, to all the things that you need to. So you don't sign 10,000 contracts in each of the cities where you operate. You only sign one contract and that gives you access to everything. So that, I'm hearing it. a couple of things. Um, in terms of Circulo, it's a central centralized approach, centralized approach to working to working you know, across, across the globe, essentially. I'm what I'm hearing about what you're doing as Circlo is when you work on a project basis, it allows much more freedom for yes. remote work for people to be on their time zones. Cause when you're assigning the project, it can be by geography, it can be by skill set. It can be by whatever. And that notion of, you know, you're going to work on this project for a while and then you're going to work on this project for a while is another change that is going to happen in the workplace. Instead of you're going to sit at this desk for the next five years until your boss dies so that you can get a promotion. <laughs> 
<laughs> you know? True, true. I, I think that uh, right now it's not any like it's it's great that that you mentioned the the word promotion. I think that there is a very funny funny term that I I don't like very much, but I hear a lot, and it's that term called emotional salary, right? So like that emotional salary is like let's say all the incentives that your company gives you in order to feel better at the workplace and like wanting to stay in the company, right? Why? Because some companies found that people will stay in a, in a work position for 18 months on average and they will leave for another job. So many companies who were struggling with retaining the employees, they developed this whole compensation package that is called now emotional salaries. First of all, I think that's very creepy because I shouldn't have to, <laughs> just, I shouldn't have to, to compensate someone like and to make someone feel happy about something that they're supposed to love, right? Um, it will be better and easier if a company understands the people that they are working with, their dreams, their aspirations, and their intentions. And that's why promotion doesn't matter anymore. Or that emotional salary doesn't matter anymore. People are identified by the idea of belonging again, and that belonging is not a physical space or a brand. They don't want to work for Google or for Facebook or for Apple. They want to work for a project, for something that brings change, for something that is aligned with what, what they do. And they don't want to be promoted somewhere. What they want is to be able to cover and to afford whatever they want to afford. And they, they don't necessarily want to be associated with one, with one type of job. They want to be a jack of all trades, right? Like somehow people want to be a singer at the same time that they're an influencer and at the same time that they're an accountant. And that is all one person. So if you understand that way, how people think and understand the world right now, that is a perspective of freedom and companies use that freedom to give people the enough space to develop their capacities at a hundred percent. So then companies are going to be not only more productive, but people are also going to be happier. Well, again, you know, we have gone on way longer than we were supposed to and still could. If you ever get to Las Vegas, I owe you a beverage. Uh, my friend, we need to continue. I would love to. <laughs> we need to continue this conversation. In the meantime, uh, for those of you who've enjoyed this show and want to know how to get hold of Alvarado and learn more about Circlo, and we will have his LinkedIn information and links to the company and all of that good stuff available on our website, longdistanceworklife.com. Uh, you listen to podcasts. By the way, we just went over 5,000 downloads in barely a year. We're very pleased people are finding the show. Uh, I suspect some of that is people telling people about the show. So if you like us, please like and subscribe. This means the world to us in the podcast business. If you want to reach out to us, if you have comments, questions, vicious personal attacks, uh, especially if you have specific questions or pet peeves about remote or hybrid work, you can contact Marissa at KevinEikenberry.com, Wayne at KevinEikenberry.com, and we will include you in, in your question in some of those episodes. Meantime, uh, I'm going to remind you, if you are looking at redesigning your team, uh, my and Kevin Eikenberry's book, The Long Distance Team, Designing Your Team for Everyone's Success, is out there in the world. You can find that at longdistanceteambook.com. Alv Daza, thank you so much for being with us. We will uh, be with you in the next episode of The Long Distance Work Life. Thank you for joining us. Don't let the weasels get you down.